This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Welcome back to Calvary Online, everyone. As we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, I'm John. Do you believe in angels? Like, do you think they're real? That they actually exist? The Hallmark Company sure hopes that you do. If you search for angels on their website, there are hundreds of products that you can buy. You can buy angel figurines, angel stuffed animals, angel ornaments, angel books, angel videos. Of course, there's tons of angel greeting cards you can buy. But then if you do a search for Jesus products on Hallmark.com, there's less than half the number of Jesus-related things as there are angel-related things. So, at least in the eyes of the Hallmark company, angels are a greater seller than Jesus. I'll tell you what, though. I think angels are absolutely real. Not the kind of comforting sort of cuddly, childlike angels that Hallmark wants to sell you, but real angelic beings that have a purpose, that have power, that listen to God and obey his commands and do his bidding on the earth. And I think as amazing as angels are, that Jesus is greater than angels. Our series in the book of Hebrews is called Greater Than And through the 13 chapters of this New Testament book or letter or sermon, we're going to see Jesus as greater than anything we could ever encounter in our life and greater than anyone we could ever imagine. If you missed the first message in our series, click here and we'll be sure to direct you to it. It'd be helpful for you to get up to speed on who the author might be. We don't know. And who the audience could be. We also don't know that but how the author jumps into helping us understand and see Jesus as greater than anything or anyone. Last time we were together, we checked out the first four verses of Hebrews 1. The rest of chapter 1, where we'll focus today, continues this theme we briefly touched on last time, which is that Jesus is absolutely greater than angels. Grab a Bible and open it with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. If you're new to the Bible, Hebrews is near the end in the New Testament section of your Bible. It's right after a one-page letter called Philemon and right before the book of James. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus became as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The rest of chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, explain this idea. That Jesus is greater than, superior to angels. Our author uses seven Old Testament quotes to make his point. And through those Old Testament quotes, he, he builds a case. One that would have absolutely resonated with a first century audience that was now following Jesus, but previously had a history and familiarity with Judaism and the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. And an audience that absolutely believed in angels because they're all over the Old Testament. So what do we know about angels? Who are they? Angels are spiritual, not physical beings. Although at times they appear in the Bible as though they have physical bodies. They were created by God before the earth and before mankind. And since they were created, since they are creatures, they are not to be worshipped. There's an example in the book of Revelation where the apostle John tries to worship an angel. And he says, I am a creature just like you. Do not worship me. Stand. 
And although they have, um, they often have an, a supernatural, otherworldly appearance, even though they are creatures, created beings. And so we see many examples when they appear to people in, in the Bible and they are terrifying in their appearance. A common phrase that an angel will use as it appears to a person is do not fear because of their otherworldly appearance. When they show up, it's kind of obvious they're not from around here. So what do they do? The primary purpose of angels is to worship and praise God, to give him glory, unending, unceasing praise and worship to God. They also are used by God to protect God's people. You can think of so many examples from the Old Testament where angels step in and protect God's people from harm. An angel protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 6, an angel stepped in and protected Daniel from the lion's den. Angels rescued Lot from the city of Sodom that was about to be destroyed. In the book of Acts, in one of the most amazing examples of angels, angels bust the apostles out of prison. Angels appear at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis when they stand at the garden and close the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. And they, of course, are present at the very end of the Bible throughout the book of Revelation. Angels appear to announce that Jesus will be born. They come and visit Mary and Joseph and speak to them about the promises of God that will be fulfilled through God the Son who is to be born of the Virgin Mary. They announce the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the Messiah to the shepherds in the field. Almost 300 times throughout the Bible, angels appear doing God's work, protecting God's people, and announcing his purposes. All four of the gospel accounts record angels as having appeared at the tomb of Jesus. We know that an angel rolled away the stone when Jesus rose from the dead. And they will play an enormous part when Jesus returns. Just as they announced his coming the first time, they will announce with trumpet sounds his second return when he returns again to judge the world. And one role that they often play throughout the scriptures is that they serve as God's messengers, that they speak his words and bring his voice. In the Old Testament, we see them helping to deliver the law of God. Of course, we saw them as announcing the arrival of the Messiah, and they speak the words of God. They are his messengers. That's what the word angels means, messengers. So the author's point here in Hebrews 1 is that angels are amazing, absolutely unquestionably amazing. But, and this is mind-blowing, as amazing as angels are, the Son of God is even greater. Why? That's what these seven Old Testament verses help us understand. And these seven Old Testament verses build upon each other to make our author's point. And we're going to group those seven quotations together under three arguments for Jesus being greater than angels. So he is greater because, first, he is enthroned as king. And second, because he is esteemed as creator. And third, because Jesus is exalted as God. So first, our author makes the point makes the argument that Jesus is, is, is enthroned as king. Look at verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 1. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, 
Today I have begotten you. This first Old Testament reference is from the second Psalm. Psalm 2, verse 7. God never said to any angel, you are my son, my one and only son. That language is reserved for the Son of God, Jesus, alone. Psalm 2 was most likely read at a coronation ceremony when a king ascended the throne, and particularly kings who were descendants of the great King David. One recurring theme we see throughout many of these seven Old Testament quotes is that there is a short-term fulfillment of prophecy that we see, and there's also a long-term one that is ultimately fulfilled in the Son of God. These words in Psalm 2 would be read over a king who was to take the throne, and that would be their short-term fulfillment. That God would say to that king, you are my son, not my literal actual son, but I am your father. I am your authority. You are to look to me as I lead. I hold kings in my hand. They rule based on how I encourage them to rule. Follow me as you lead my people. And long term, of course, there was the promise of a great Messiah who would come from the line of David, who is referred to as God's son. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel says, he will, be a, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Jesus is enthroned as king. Verse 5 in Hebrews goes on to say, Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. This is an experience where David is... Early in his reign as king, and he looks over his kingdom, he looks at his palace, and he sends to, says to his friend and the prophet Nathan, God has been so kind to me. I have a beautiful house, but God does not have a permanent dwelling place yet in Jerusalem. At this time in history, the, the people gathered to worship God still in a tent, in a tabernacle, and it was in David's heart to build a permanent dwelling place for God. But Nathan hears from God himself, and as God's prophet speaks back to David and says, it's not God's plan for you to build a house for him. Instead, your son will build a house for God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's this beautiful picture of a short-term promise that David will have a son who is Solomon, who will build a house for the Lord, which is fulfilled in the short term, and that there will be an ultimate son whose throne will be forever. So what's happening here is a covenant with David, a promise from God that David's kingdom will last forever, that one of his descendants will rule for all eternity. That's obviously not ultimately fulfilled in David. He died. Not ultimately fulfilled in Solomon. He also died. None of David's descendants until the Lord Jesus it goes on in verse 8 in Hebrews chapter 1. The author says, But of the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So the kind of kingdom that Jesus will rule is described here in this quote, which is from Psalm chapter 45, verses 6 and 7. And look at the description of this kind of kingdom that Jesus will oversee, that he will have rule over and that he will reign over. This kind of kingdom is righteous and upright. It lasts forever. It is without wickedness. 
and it's a glad kingdom. That's the kingdom of Jesus. Our author goes on in verse uh, 13 of Hebrews chapter 1 and says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Do you see how the author's argument builds and builds and builds with each quotation from the Old Testament? And what he's saying is this, that Jesus, the Son of God, is enthroned as king in heaven. That he has all authority and power and majesty because of this enthronement. And because he is enthroned, he is greater even than angels. Why? Well, because as king, he rules over the angels. They do his bidding. He sends them out to serve and minister. Look at verse 14, right at the end of Hebrews chapter 1. Are they, angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Jesus commands angels. They listen to him. They obey his every word. So if Jesus is enthroned as king in heaven, is he enthroned as king in our lives? Does he occupy our primary position of authority? There are so many people and voices that are vying for our attention and allegiance. There are politicians and pundits, podcasters, authors, self-help gurus. But the one voice that has true authority and requires our allegiance above all other voices is the voice of our King, Jesus. So do we listen to his voice? Do we obey his commands? The angels do. They see him as majestic and powerful as they are. The angels see Jesus as enthroned as king. And they also esteem him as creator. Check out verses 10 through 12 of Hebrews 1. It says, And you, Lord, speaking to Jesus, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. This is another psalm. This time, Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, and Jesus is esteemed here as creator. Look closely at verse 10. It says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And without him, not anything was made that was made. That's from John 1. Again, affirming and esteeming like the New Testament does in so many different places, esteeming Jesus as creator. But our author is arguing that the Old Testament does the same thing, that it sees the Lord Jesus as the creator of everything. And his role of of creator is all-encompassing. The end of verse 10 says, The heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus created everything. Everything we can see, both visible and invisible, Colossians 1 says. Even the angels, which makes him greater than them. He is their creator. It goes on to say in verses 10 through 12 that everything Jesus has created will one day perish. Creation is decaying. We see it all over, but Jesus remains The end of verse 12 says that in spite of things decaying in our world, constantly changing, uncertain at times, and concerning, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he is unchanging. 
That's one of the characteristics we know to be true of God, that God is immutable, unchanging. And here the author of Hebrews attributes that characteristic of the unchanging nature of God to the Son of God himself, Jesus. That's comforting. Because in a world that is constantly changing, there's nothing we need more than an unchanging Savior. He's not impacted by the way that the world change changes, the things that come and go, the people that rule and then stop ruling, the problems that we face. Jesus is unchanging. He's one who we can count on. He's someone who will never leave us nor forsake us. That's who the Son of God, Jesus, is. He's enthroned as king. He's esteemed as creator. And he is exalted by the author as God. Back to verse 8. But of the Son, he says, we read this earlier, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Did you notice when we read it earlier that the author of Hebrews is saying that God himself refers to Jesus as God. Look at what it says. But of the Son, he says, God says, your throne, O God, is forever. Jesus, of course, referred to himself as God during his earthly ministry. It's why he was killed. Because he took the divine name of God upon himself and he allowed his followers to worship him, to call him Lord, And these early followers of Jesus, who the author of Hebrews is addressing here, were no doubt facing persecution and problems in their life because they believed that Jesus was God. And apparently, we'll look more closely at this next week, some of them were drifting away from this distinctly Christian belief that Jesus is exalted as God. Many world religions revere Jesus, respect him, admire him, think he's worth listening to. But they stop short of declaring him as eternal God. One more verse, verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 1. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, speaking of the Son, he says, let all God's angels worship him. This is what it all comes down to. Worship of Jesus. That's what sets us apart as Christians. Not that we respect Jesus, not that we revere Jesus, Not just that we listen to Jesus or even love Jesus, but that we worship Jesus. Along with the angels who constantly sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Our call is to worship the King, the Creator, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Do you worship him? Do you worship him? Do you see him as God? Do you look to him as your authority? Do you trust him? Do you obey him and listen to him because of who he is? Enthroned as king, esteemed as creator, and exalted as God in our hearts and in our lives. If you'd like to know more about what it means to worship Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can reach out to us. You can send me an email. You can fill out our online connect card. More than anything, we want to be a people who exalt the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords, as God himself. If we can help you do that, let us know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we affirm now with our hearts and with our minds and even with our mouths 
that you are God, that you are the King of Kings, that you are the promised Messiah, that the Old Testament points to you as the promised one, as the one who will save us and redeem us, the one who today, in this moment, is enthroned in heaven, reigning and ruling over our lives and over eternity. Lord Jesus, help us to worship you. Help us to look to you. Help us to follow you by faith in obedience. I pray for any friend who might be watching or listening today that, that does not yet worship you. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might invade their heart and minds and bring to life what is true about you that we have seen here in Hebrews chapter 1 and sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, that you are the Lord, that you are the King, that you are the Creator, and that you are worthy to be worshipped. May you be glorified in heaven as we worship you here on the earth, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.